0: Welcome women here we talk about sovereign and instinctual womanhood and motherhood the call to women's work and so much more. I'm Bethany Wilde an author mother and mentor for women's wellness practitioners who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic womb and pelvic care and I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome everyone, I am really excited to bring you, well, I'm always excited to bring you an episode, but this week, this is a woman who I've been wanting to bring on for a while to have a conversation with because every time I tap into what she's doing and what she's talking about, um, she just has a really unique perspective and a lot of wisdom on everything that she shares. And there are a lot of people that talk about a lot of things online, on social media, but not everyone has um, like this level of understanding, lived experience, intelligence. So I just knew that whatever we would talk about in this episode, it would be really good and there would be a lot of gems within it so yeah this week um, this episode we're going to be talking about kind of where she is now as a new mother of three she just had her third child so I wanted to check in with what that's been like what shifts have taken place who she is now um, we also talk about the mother victim archetype and how there 's some truth to it, and how she has worked to move beyond that identity and This is kind of cool because i 've I had another conversation with a woman who um, angelica she 's going to be. I think I'm going to be releasing her episode next week, but we also talk about a similar thing with just different terminology. So I see these threads of different things that we are talking about and working through as mothers. And I'm really excited by this conversation of, um, claiming more as mothers, more vitality, more nourishment, And stepping out of this victim-depleted state, even though we understand, we recognize that this is our inheritance and it's our reality, and how can we choose something different? So we also talk about taking radical responsibility, the same vein, choosing a different orientation as a mother in these modern times, regenerative motherhood, mother alchemy, We talk about how she has or is in the season of her life choosing support and family over living in a place that she loves and how to create a nourishing environment wherever you live. Since mothers are the heartbeat of the home, we can cultivate this. We talk about astro cartography and the energy of a place, including not just for us, but for every member of the family. We talk about her path as a working mother and her experiences in online business making, including the reality of working alongside raising our children, being present to them, and also, you know, children seeing us work and integrating them into the reality of the fact that we do have to work, and this is just part of of life. Uh, so. I ask about her current offerings. She's got. Uh, she talks a little bit about her current projects. We talk about human design as a business owner, and then we pivot into uh, womb work, pelvic care, sexuality, sexual identity as a mother. Um, so you can read about all the the points in the show notes, and just of course tune into this episode. So I'm going to read a little bit about her bio, and then we will just jump into our conversation. So Kristen Hauser, she's an acupuncturist, an herbalist, and a somatic sex educator. Her practice is focused on women's hormonal, sexual, and pelvic health fertility through the postpartum time. She is a mama of three, and she is also the founder of Womb Medicine, a virtual education platform that centers embodied healing, body literacy, hormonal know-how, and sexual identity integration. Kristen brings compassion, curiosity, expert knowledge, and embodied experience into her offerings. She invites you into her own sense of agency, healing, and nourishment. So you can get all the links for her and everything we talk about as always in the show notes. And before we go into our conversation, I want to invite you as always, if you are enjoying this podcast to just leave a quick rating. We all know that the more ratings we have, the more women that uh, you know, a podcast can reach. So I would love to invite you to do that so I can continue this project long-term. That's my intention and vision and to bring more amazing wise women, more solo episodes to you throughout the years. And the best way to support that is to leave a rating. So again, let's Dive into this beautiful episode and conversation with me and Kristen.
1: So, I recently had my third baby about just over three months ago now. So I'm in a big transition to becoming a mother of three and it's been really such a sweet journey this third time around. So I have a five-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter, and they will both have birthdays this spring. So they're almost six and almost four. And I had them really close together sort of unintentionally. Um, I know a lot of families in America, like have their kids pretty close together. And I was more on like, I wanted to wait at least two years between pregnancies, um, to have like full restoration for myself. And that didn't happen. Um, and I so wanted another baby. So we went forward with that pregnancy and my kids are 23 months apart, the first two. And then after that, I had like, a little bit longer of a break. So I got pregnant for the third time when my daughter was just over two and a half and that timing just felt so good for me. And, um, I was able to enjoy the pregnancy more. I felt like, and then had a pretty, pretty easy pregnancy overall and like a great birth. Um, that was something that was like, a little bit different cuz i feel like my first two were were closer together so i birth was like just more with me still i kind of remembered it a little bit more than i did this third time so going into it the third time i was like oh my gosh am i going to remember what to do like and same with the baby care i was like am i going to remember how to take care of a baby like my kids are so big now but of course it just all comes right back and i feel like i'm just really settling into motherhood now and that just feels like such a revelation to realize that, you know, it can take five years. It can take maybe longer for some, I think it's shorter for some people, but I would say for me, it really took a while to feel like, okay, I'm like finding, finding myself here and there's a rhythm. And I also noticed that within my relationship too. And I was just reflecting on that recently of like, we're just really solid now as parents and as a team, whereas those first few years had challenges, of course. And it's like, you're figuring so much out and there's such a steep, like learning curve in some ways that it it just feels like there's like a constant kind of wheel turning feeling. And now I just feel like, okay, it's like, this other baby just sort of integrated into our family and um, I'm finding a way to sort of move between work and motherhood and like gathering the support that I need. And that's just felt really different compared to the last few years. Um, So yeah, I think every postpartum journey is unique and I'm just three months into this one. So it's like, there's a lot to still be known but I do feel like I'm settling deeper into motherhood than I have previously. So some of some insecurities that I had, or, um, some of that is falling away as time sort of passes. And I think that also speaks to like motherhood is, can be really intuitive, right. And historically, ancestrally, we would have been, had a lot more exposure and, um, with like co-regulation with other mothers, we would have been around other mothers before we were mothers. So we would have had a lot more of that. I feel like that experience of being with babies and young children. Um, yeah. So with that said, I feel like, yes, motherhood's an intuitive process or can be, and that like, that's been a big part of my journey and experience really helps. Like it, it, there's just no way around it. Like if you, a third baby is very different than the first baby from a mother's point of view. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Is just really enjoying, uh, I do enjoy this baby's sort of babyhood a lot more, I would say than my first. Um, and I wasn't necessarily, like, I don't think I was a super anxious mom or like, I wasn't depressed. I didn't have any major struggles or anything like that, but, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just so much more relaxed now. There's mm-hmm. like kind of no way around it.
2: Yeah, I can see that in you. You seem very relaxed. And I I resonate really deeply with that. It's like I don't have the experience of second, third child, but um I can definitely see that. Like my first was such a whirlwind. Um I felt like I was underwater for probably years two years, which wasn't even that long ago, but now everything just opened up. Um, but I, and I just kept dreaming the months away for her to get older, but I feel like it would be so different with a second, third child. Um, and, and do you think like some of that is having support or it's just like both support plus experience?
1: I think it's both, but I remember When my son, right before I got pregnant with my daughter. So when I had my first and I was like, got through that first year and we had a lot of fun and like, you know, we were doing well overall, but I was like, wow, like I felt really lost like in myself. I didn't really, um, yeah, I just like, didn't know like which direction we were going in and we were considering moving. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to make like my ideal list of what it would take for me to feel supported as a mother, I still have this list and I look at it. Sometimes it's just like a list of things, whether it's something I do every day or it's like, okay, going to some type of movement class a couple of times a week, or, you know, having a date night, um, having consistent childcare so I can work, um, just things like that. And I wrote all that down and I was like, wow, this is like a lot more than I anticipated. And I haven't had this support so far in my postpartum journey. And that was like at 13 or 14 months postpartum. Um, Then I got pregnant again. So then I kind of like got back into the whirlwind in a way um, because I wasn't anticipating it. And then I had two babies in two years and I had like a baby and then like a big baby in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really a lot. And, but I feel like it did tenderize me in a way um, in a way to, yeah, just like move through some of the motherhood, the, what I kind of consider like the mother victim archetype, which is like very mm-hmm. prominent culturally, uh, right now where it's like, because it's true, we don't have support as mothers. Like our entire cultural infrastructure is not really supportive of families and they're, you there can be a process of identifying the victimization of that, but I wanted to move out of that part of the phase. Right. Mm -hmm. So to move out of, out of that phase, it's like, I, I feel like having that second, so close to my first, it kind of like moved me through that process, maybe quicker than I would have otherwise. Um, because I was like, look, no one's coming to save me from this. I love my kids. And I'm going to figure it out. Like, I'm going to figure out how to build community around me, even if it's not the ideal situation. Um, I'm going to figure out like how to carve out times for myself, how to like weave work and motherhood and things that are important to me. And so that was just kind of the process that I went through essentially.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And did you feel depleted in that process of trying to bring everything together raising two children working trying to carve out time for yourself all these like that's what I've kind of experienced and tenderizing that yeah. that's a good word actually I would have used harsher terms like broke, been broken down <laughs> like,
1: well but- yeah and that's that's I did feel that those things I did feel like I mean I think I've written before like I felt like I was like crawling out of like clawing my way out of a cave or like out of a hole sort of
2: mm-hmm. that
1: feeling of just like like you you had mentioned I think previous to the recording is like being under water like you do have that feeling of like you just cannot get above the water to like get enough air um so yeah I did experience that and I think it's super common within the cultural paradigm, like given that there's not a lot of, you know, support in place for most women who are becoming mothers. Um, but I knew that like, I knew there were two paths, right. I could either continue feeling like, oh, this is so, this is depleting me. This is like, you know, running me into the ground. Or I could, you know, take that radical responsibility, start to actually find community and, um and choose a different life or like a different way to orient towards it. Um, so that I still don't have like perfect support in place. <laughs> so don't get me wrong. But I tried to frame it for myself, like, in a way that is generative rather than depleting me. Mm -hmm. So it's like when I get in those really depleted moments or I have a rough week, like actually this last week was kind of rough um, for a variety of reasons. And I'm like, okay, it's just a phase it's going to pass by. And then um, like today, my family, my, older son and my husband are probably going to go out of the house and I'm going to stay home hopefully with just the baby but also possibly my daughter and you know it's this family thing that I could have gone to but like I don't have to so I can just stay home and rest and that can be kind of my buffer for the week that I just had um so I look for things like that like places to sort of make very small changes because I think and that was me too. Like, I was totally like, okay, I need some radical big change to like make this all feel more sustainable, but often it's those things even, you know, they might not even feel attainable or doable. So it's like, okay, what's just the next small step I can do. Right. It's like, what's the next small thing. So like, I just, we also just relocated from California to the Midwest. So when I I had both my first two, when we were living in California, And then sometimes like the next small step for me was like, I just wanted to make one friend in my neighborhood. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Right. And that's often a goal for me is like, make one good friend that's like really close by. Mm -hmm. And this friend does not have to be someone who like we match on religious beliefs and every, you know, we're politically aligned and all that. It's just someone that I like to be around. Who's also a mom. Mm -hmm right? And so I made that friend and we're still friends today. And um, it just made my whole life better, honestly. Like Mm -hmm. she would bring me soup when we we were sick. Like I would take her something if they were sick, we would check in on each other. We would go on walks every Friday. Um, It's these small things that I feel like really add up and create such a rich like motherhood experience.
2: Yeah, and just to go back a little bit on what you were saying about um, like the generative nature of motherhood and then like diving into that a little bit more, Um, it just made me think about how much I reflect on pregnancy and birth being regenerative, but it opens up that possibility of, of motherhood itself, you know, um, yeah, being regenerative and making us better, uh, better people, more capacity, um, all the things that you talk about on your social media and I've shared before too. um, And leaning into that as a way of um, moving out of the victim mother role, I think um, is really important and something that we need to talk about more.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of like rooted in that first 40 days idea of like, you can change your constitution or make big improvements to your constitution. Or if you have some health issue, like if you really take that time to nourish and rest, you can make big changes. And um, I think that's really just rooted into our biology. And then you have to think like, as you know, you know, motherhood changes our brain. It changes um so much of our physiology and i think if we are in that sort of oxytocin connection based place with our kids it's not going to happen all the time i don't think it should be happening all the time but um, <laughs> in a day to day basis it does happen usually at some mm-hmm. point right and that in and of itself is so life like giving
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. That's what keeps us going. going, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I like that you find a neighbor close by. I feel like that makes a big difference and really roots us into those ancestral ways. Um, So what other thing you mentioned how you sometime after the second pregnancy, you did all these things to gather community around you and, just like, yeah, move out of the victim mother
1: role into doing
2: your life. So what were some of those other little things that you did?
1: Well, I really got put, yeah, I really got put into a crucible to be honest with you, because um, when my daughter was about six months old, my husband lost his job and it was super unexpected. And I was not planning to return to work until she was a year old. And so he was looking for a job and it was not going well. This was, right before like the pandemic and um i was like okay well i need to probably go back to work and so that it was like not our ideal and at the same time i feel like you know that is sort of what pushed me over the edge we could say like mm-hmm. over the edge in the sense that i was incredibly survival stressed um And I was caring for the two, a two-year-old and a six-month-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, I guess, at that point. And um, I was like, okay, I'm going to start working again. It was limited. I was just working two days a week, but it was helpful for our family at that time. And I kind of slowly grew from there as my daughter grew. And then the pandemic came. And so by then I'm like really kind of getting things going in my professional life. And then as far as like, Support goes. Um, so yeah, we had we hired a great nanny at that point who I really loved. And I started we started this homeschool meetup group. So I had met this woman through a prenatal yoga class, and she I got in touch with her. I can't remember exactly how that all went down, but she's like, Yeah, we we have this like nature play group that was meeting with a teacher but the the group is done but we're still gonna meet as just a group of moms. Do you want to come? And so then we did that and we met like every Wednesday I don't know for like two over two years straight. Wow. Yeah I mean obviously people you know take breaks or whatever for vacations and all the things but we just consistently met once a week and it like became such a fun way to get together. And it was just such an interesting group of people. Um, we all like our kind of common alignment was, you know, um, prioritizing nature-based play and prioritizing nature-based learning and, um, gentle parenting, respectful, respectful parenting. So yeah, that was like our common thread. Although there were like various types of, uh, people, it was really interesting. And I really loved all of these women very much. And so that was like a really great support system that I had in place when we were still living in California. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we just, I, yeah, I mean, I still, my kids still talk about the babysitter nanny situation that we had there. She was just really great and kind of became like a part of our family. And my kids were really only with her like 15 hours, maybe 20 hours a week. But it was just so, so helpful to have even like that level of support. So those pieces. And then um, when my third was coming along, we decided that we wanted to be closer to my family. So we made a bigger move across the country. And now we're kind of in a readjustment phase again, because it's like we got more support because we have a little more family infrastructure around us but we don't have consistent childcare and I don't have many friends here yet. So it's like, we got something, but something else got taken away. So now I'm kind of trying to put the pieces back together.
2: And do you think you will make that work? Like what was the, has it been worth it? Do you think it is worth it to choose that situation?
1: That's such a tough question. And it's something I'm sitting with like every day Mm -hmm. I have to like, I get really in it sometimes and I'm like, it wasn't worth it. Why did I do this? Um, But then I try to have the bigger picture in mind because I do value the family connection and both my parents are still with like, they're really young, actually they're in their early sixties and they're still working full time and like have very full lives here, but they want to be involved and I want my kids to know them and I want my kids to know kind of where they come from and where where i come from which is here and so i'm trying to have like the bigger picture in mind um with that said yeah it is hard it's hard for me to then be putting some pieces back together and trying to make friends here um in a place where i i did live for a long time but like a lot of people have moved on or it's just we're in different places so i am kind of starting from from zero and just like trying to make connections again. Um, that doesn't feel hard for me though. I'm, I think that's something I'm sort of just naturally good at. So that piece doesn't feel as hard. I think what feels challenging is the relationship I have to the land. Mm. Um, I really felt so connected to the land in San Diego and I'm really connected to the ocean And I don't think I realized how much that was providing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that piece has been a little bit more tricky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's like another sort of thread to this is like, is your environment nourishing you just like on a day to day? So I've had to be really mindful about like making my home, like really feel um, warm and inviting and like buying fresh flowers more often and just like, you know, really feeling like I can feel good here because I can't just like go outside on my favorite walk, you know, or, I mean, of course I can go outside and walk here, but like, I don't feel the same sort of depth of connection that I had um, to the land that I previously lived on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that so strongly. I, I lived in so many places and visited so many places. And there's just like, certain places make me feel really good. Other places, it will just like a cloud over my my mood. Like I just took a trip to the Texas coast, which I was really excited about. um, Because I really missed the beach. But it was so clear right away. I was like, this is a very different energy than, yeah, of course. than San Diego. Um, and it just doesn't resonate with me personally. So I looked up um, a while ago, I don't know if you've heard of astro cartog- cartography. I'm really
1: people. into astro cartography. Right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah. what is um, the place you're at right now? Like. Is
1: so I'm close things? to, I'm in, Can- I'm in the Kansas city area and I'm close to a Saturn line. And that's like where I was mm-hmm. born. I was born like close to a Saturn line. Um, I don't feel like my childhood was like super, um, you know, had that Saturn energy. I mean, it definitely had some challenges, but overall I felt like I had a pretty good childhood. Um, but yeah, it's just, when I come here, I do, I do kind of have that feeling of, um, being boxed in being sort of caged in, mm-hmm. um, feeling like I, yeah, it's just, it's not a good feeling, <laughs> Um, so yeah, what um
2: what is San Diego
1: for you? Do you Pluto, I think.
2: Oh, interesting. Which is also
1: interesting, but I feel like that sort of energy facilitated my work in a way.
2: Oh, hmm, That's
1: a lot there. like the the mm-hmm. depth, I don't know. Um Yeah, I don't know. I there something something to to that extent or I mean, I also just did a lot of like Um, I changed a lot. I lived in Southern California for over 10, just over 10 years. So I went through a lot of different evolutions during that time. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah.
2: Yeah. That, that area just feels so good to me. It's probably you like
1: San Diego too. It's, I mean, how can you not right? It's
2: like the weather it's like so hard to be, (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I grew up in, um, North of LA. So that whole area just It just feels like home, mountain, desert, ocean. It's, it's,
1: what else do you need?
2: (laughs) You don't, yeah. If only it was um, easier to live there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the reason also part of the reason why we left is just because we're pursuing um, like another dream of, and this is like a dream that kind of just won't leave me alone. So I need to see if it's like going to play out or not. Um, so we're hoping to move to Costa Rica in the next three years or so. And I feel like we're in the process of seeing like, is that going to work for everyone in the family? Like now we're a family of five. So it's like, okay, if one of us is like, oh, this is really like not a good place for me, then we need to like reassess. Right. So yeah. That's where we're at right now. I feel like we all did really, we did really like San Diego, but that was when we were, in, a, we were a family of four. So who knows? Like we said, we really loved it. There were no, um, things that, I mean, of course there's always little things that you don't like about a place maybe, but there was no like really big incongruencies there. So we could always end up moving back or I don't know. Um, I just know that like, Long term staying here is not really, it just doesn't make sense for me. Like, I don't really see it playing out that way. Um, yeah, but I so. do, you know, I do hope that my kids feel it can feel at home here and can feel like they could come here when they want, they could be with my parents, that sort of thing. So, that's kind of the goal that I have for that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And maybe receive some support while you're, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's so nice. Like my son, who's five has grown so much since we moved here. He's like, you know, hasn't spent a lot of time away from us just in general, but since we've been here, he'll easily go to my mom or my dad all day and, and even stay the night, which is like big for him.
2: Wow. That's so sweet. That, yeah, there's just, just something really beautiful. And fulfilling about watching our children with our parents
1: yeah yeah and both my parents have land here and my dad like raises cows and so there's just like a lot for them to do as kids and and a lot for them to learn about right it's like mm-hmm. their kind of bigger education about how the world is in different places that you can live different lifestyles you can have mm-hmm.
2: yeah I think that's important And it feels like a lot of people have been moving to Costa Rica and that there would be plenty of like-minded community to build down there.
1: Yeah, I think think so. Mm -hmm. We'll see.
2: Okay. So, um, yeah, I want to hear about, I guess we talked a little bit about it, but how you balanced your work, how you shifted your work into this online space. Um, Mm -hmm yeah, what it's, what it's taken is as mm-hmm. we talked about before we were recording it, um, yeah, it takes a lot to build an online business and a lot of consistency and energy and creativity. Um, yeah. and so how, so you are the sustainer for your family financially right now.
1: And yeah, no, how does, how I'm not work? right now. Mm-hmm no, but I'll tell, I'll tell a little bit of that story too. Cause I have been at times. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think some women like have their career, right. Or they have their, maybe they have a business, let's say they have their business and then they have kids and sort of like start to figure like incorporate, um, whatever they need to, to sustain their previous business model. My path has been a little different. Like, so I, before I got pregnant with my first, I had already started a business. Um, as an acupuncturist, I was mostly doing office visits at that time and working like five days a week. So working like a full clinic kind of schedule, seeing like 35 people a week, sometimes more. Mm -hmm. And, um, I learned a lot during that time and I had a great mentor and this was when I, we lived in orange County, California. So I was working and like doing that sort of model. And then I got pregnant and I continued to work throughout my pregnancy. And then in the postpartum time, I went back maybe three months postpartum, but just like two afternoons per week. Right. So then I was working very limited and my focus was mostly at home. Um, and that continued really for, until my daughter was born basically. So like for two years I kind of worked pretty minimally and I was not like the main provider. So it all kind of switched in that time frame where I was telling you that my husband lost his job and there was a lot of financial insecurity. And, um, we just like my husband and I together got really clear, like, we don't want to be sort of relying on, um, someone else, right. Or some external entity for income. So I kind of had the seed this whole time, like throughout the years, even prior to that moment, I had this seed of wanting to have an online business so we could have a little more location independence. Uh, My husband's German. I'm from the States. I'm from the Midwest. And it's like, we do want to be able to see both our families. So that requires like, travel. And, you know, we also love to travel for ourselves. So there were a lot of factors that sort of led me to considering the online world. And so back to when my daughter was six months old and I got back into work earlier than I had anticipated. And then I just was like, okay, like this, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. Like, I'm just going to start building this. At that time I was seeing people in person. So I was still doing the whole clinic office setup. Um, But then I just started showing up more online. And I sort of just made a commitment to myself, like that. um, And it was a commitment and also like this differentiation process, right? So it's like, okay, I'm committing to this. I do want to build a business online. I need to figure out, I need to learn some things. I need to learn how, um, you know, let's say just to create a course or whatever the thing is. Um, But yeah, I would say like, I just made it a priority. I said, even when I don't feel like doing it, I'm going to post on social media. Um, I'm not going to wait until I feel inspired. If I do feel inspired, that's great. And then I can, you know, post something too. But it was like, I started a newsletter and I'm like, I'm going to send out an email every week, even if I don't feel like doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of like, this is like different than some feminine business leaders or, Teachers, we could say, who um yeah, may say, like, oh, you, you, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm not really in that world, but
2: yeah, my world
1: feminine and masculine. Yeah, like follow, yeah, like, you know, magnetizing things. And I I am I'm down for that. And I think that's like valid and like for me, what's worked is just like consistency and showing up and like doing it, even when I don't feel like it and, um, and making connections like and collaborating with other women, Mm -hmm. um, that has helped a lot. So Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I see some of my friends online and I see some way that other women have done this and it does feel different to the, to the way that I've done it, um, some people do have really quick growth online and like, you know, for whatever reason, hard work plus a little bit of luck or whatever the thing is. Um, And I do feel like I've had good growth, but the work I've put in is like, so, so, I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of work for a lot of years, not just like the last six months. And I'm really fortunate. I had a great friend and mentor were no longer in connection but um that's another story she had a similar story and i just i re- i still remember that like i remember seeing her struggle to fill a workshop or you know like trying to get a women's group together and like only 5 of us showing up or which is a good amount anyways mm-hmm. um and now she has a super successful online business probably does more than a million dollars a year in business and has a team and and it's just like I was there when she was you know struggling and was a single mom and um writing her first book and even though we're not at all in connection anymore like that I still think of how hard she worked to get to where she is now and I'm actually like crying a little bit just thinking about it because I think that what we see online right now is that, you know, it's just like this not overnight success story, but it doesn't really value the amount of work that we as women put into what we're offering.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we can't look to others to validate that for ourselves, but we have to know that we're living in alignment with what we want to put into the world. And we have to get our value from somewhere else. Um, So that, that also that differentiation process of understanding where the value lies um, really helps because it can just get tricky and um, you don't want to necessarily make business, business decisions based on how you're feeling in the moment. You need to have like some other framework for how to move forward and, um, mm-hmm. I think that's been really helpful, but yeah, just knowing that. Yeah. I mean, women work really, really hard from what I've seen who have these really successful online businesses, they put in a lot of work.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, there's a like, I just, I just wonder like how many of us, um, I've noticed when I've been in the middle of a launch of something. Yeah. I have to kind of ignore my, my daughter a lot of the time on my phone and it's like, there is a cost to it and just, yeah. Single, single moms are an absolute, you know, they have to make it work. Um, yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. Um,
1: Yeah. In regards to like what you're saying about, you know, how the balancing it's like, I haven't really looked at it as like balancing work and motherhood. I look at it as like, I look at it just like as what needs most of my attention right now. Um, And sometimes that's more my family life and my kids. And sometimes that is a little bit more my business. So that might mean that, um, I have more childcare than usual or, um, I stay up late one night when I w- typically wouldn't value doing that. Um so yeah, it just varies and then as far as like being on Instagram or other social media platforms a lot, um I try to like I have a a limit set on my phone for that that I try to respect every day and then um I always like prep my posts. So when I am so that's like part of my work, right? So I try to do that like when I have childcare, not like when I'm with my kids, that's been tricky the last six months because I haven't really had much childcare. So I've had to, again, get creative. And so what I've done is I've just incorporated my kids into my work life. And I that was like a new, cre- a new possibility. I was like, I don't know if this is gonna, Like, how is this going to work? And I was like, I, I don't know what else to do. Like I'm with them all day long. And I think it's totally reasonable. They're three and five for them to understand that part of my life is working Mm -hmm. and this is why, and, um, we actually want our kids to understand what it, what it's like to run a family business or run a business. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've had them help, help me with really small things that are like age appropriate. Obviously they're not working on a computer or like generating anything for me. Um, but you know, they can come in my office and like, help me organize some herbs or, um, do really simple tasks. And then they, I think they can understand I'm on, you know, if I pick up my phone and it's for work, I'll say, I'm going to work for a few minutes on my phone and I'm going to be right here if you need me. Mm
2: -hmm. And then
1: over time, they have actually kind of started to understand what that means, Um, Mm -hmm. and that, that's been a really interesting shift for me because before, before it felt better for me to have them really separated, like I leave the house to go to work and then I come back and like, I'm just with the kids, different seasons require different things. And I think because my commitment is to both, I am just willing to find like creative solutions for things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's I, I totally, yeah. I mean, I totally sometimes have the thought, oh my gosh, I'm such a distracted mom. I'm not doing good at work. I'm not doing good with the kids. Like, I'm just kind of scattered. I do have those feelings and thoughts at times. Um, And then I know, like, okay, I need to like pull back. Maybe I can't do this project. I need to take that off my plate or whatever the thing is. Um, so yeah, I think I've fa- find find different solutions depending on what phase of life I'm in and like how old the kids are. Obviously, right now, having a newborn or a three month old, he's just with me a lot. Um, even if I have childcare for the older two. So yeah, I'm I'm just figuring it out. And um I will say what I often let go is household work and I know for some women that's super important and I think that's totally valid um and I do actually I really love like a tidy organized home and I cook we cook a lot um but my husband and I kind of split the cooking responsibilities so that helps a lot and then yeah sometimes it's just like the laundry's not done for a while because I've prioritized other other things. Mm-hmm. Um, Those are all good
2: points, though. Yeah, Yeah. sometimes I just, yeah, I figure these things out in like real time at first. I'm like, you know, thinking, oh, my child is distracted um, or noticing that I'm distracted and that's a bad thing. But then I, yeah, with what you're saying, um, I think about how I have my computer open um, at certain times with my daughter and I really do feel like what you're saying. It's it's great that they understand that we have to work and we can't center our lives around them because, um, yeah, I don't really believe in a child-centered life necessarily. Like yeah. it's important for them to integrate with the family and to know that we need to earn money to yeah survive and um, yeah, and then for them to be as helpful to learn how to be as helpful as possible and all the things that we need to sustain family life. Um yeah, I read this really really great book, Hunt Gather Parent, mm-hmm. have you read that
1: one? Yeah, I read it like sometime mm-hmm. in the last year.
2: Yeah, it was it was really good and it just it just changed my perspective on a lot of these these different things and how you know, children were always involved in the family business and they were taught how to be helpful as soon as they were able to be. Um and things have shifted since we're, yeah, so many of us work in a computer, but yeah, it is important for them to see us living our lives. Um, and to understand they're not the center of everything, but there are times where we can connect with them one-on-one and that's important too, but just not like all day is probably not normal ancestral. No,
1: it's not. Yeah. And I Mm -hmm. mean, that's all something also that's helped me is like, I start, I always start my day with my kids. So we wake up together. I'm not the kind of, I don't get up before my kids to do like anything special. Although I think that's great. It's just not been my way. Um, so I wake up with them. I'm there when they wake up, I get them dressed. I mean, they dress themselves mostly now. Um, and then I get their breakfast ready and we usually do at least one kind of activity together before on most days like before i would start working or do something else or even clean up the kitchen or whatever the thing is and so i feel like that sort of lays the groundwork for the day and then i may go over that over i usually tell them like this is what's going to happen today right it's like we're going to go here or we're going to be at home all day and this is what's going to happen and um i feel like that really helps so i've never worked in the mornings since having kids i've always worked in the sometime after 10 a.m. usually. Um and that for me has felt good. Maybe for others it feels better to be home in the afternoon. Um but I feel like if you know that you're always going to have this time together, then there's a little you like can relax a little bit into those moments when you're like, no, I actually just need to do this work right now. And that's totally fine. They can be here with me while I'm doing this.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah it's important I find my best energy at 5 a.m but I guess everyone is a little bit like
1: for you to work
2: yeah I like to work out and then I'll work and I feel like after that my just everything flows
1: and then she's up at eight and then I just you know take a break at that point yeah, no, I think that's great too. Um, I've always struggled to get up before my kids because they'll wake up. Yeah. Yeah, that
2: happens too. So <laughs> and then it's like
1: I don't want to risk like getting up to do something for myself mm-hmm. and then them also waking up and being like grumpy all day because they didn't sleep enough. So I've just like sh- yeah. I've um oh and if I all...
2: were I would be sleeping. I'd well, be sleeping yeah, so there's box also box. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. so there's also that.
1: Um mm-hmm. So yeah, you have to find like what works for you and what feels good for you. That's just what's worked for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also like, we come together at night always as a family and um, have dinner together. And then like the kids usually have some playtime and my husband and I clean up the kitchen together and we chat about the day and um, we have a family bedroom. So we're all sleeping together. So there's like a lot of togetherness and Mm -hmm. I feel like that has helped me. Yeah. Just be like, okay. With setting boundaries and being like, no, this is the work that I'm doing is important. And I also have a very specific goal with the work, like with the work I'm doing Not not only just that I'm passionate about it. And like, I've sort of made like a spiritual commitment to the work, but, um, also that I want it to sustain our family long-term. So I'm not the sole provider right now um, my husband and I kind of split that role right now. Um, but my husband also works behind the scenes on my business, which is like kind of our family business at this point. Oh, so, like that. you know, we kind of came together on that and we're like, okay, we think this really could sustain us. Then, um, it's, it has to be a priority
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the kids can start to understand why
2: so are you are you teaching at the the blood mysteries school this year or what are your current projects for this year?
1: Yeah. So that um the blood mystery school definitely helped me sort of transition more into the online space because I, you know, with my daughter, once I went back to work when she was six months old, I did build up another practice in Carlsbad, California. And at the same time, I was like building courses but it's a lot to do both like it's really hard to do both like a in person practice and the online space mm-hmm. um and have kids yeah so i was finding like i need to kind of focus my energy just on the online space if i want that to to grow um it's hard for me to be away from doing acupuncture cuz i just love doing it and mm-hmm. i love that interaction with people so i know that's something i'll always come back to but yeah. So the, I started the blood mystery school with Nancy Lucina and Emily Saldea through the free Birth society. Well, the first time we ran it was, um, last year in 2022 and yes, we are going to run the second round this year in the spring. So we're kind of getting ready for that now. Um, I, we created all the content in 2022. So it was a big project. Uh, we spent a lot of time just recording videos sort of, um, and then doing also the live teachings and it's a 16 week course or school. So, um, yeah, Nancy and I just are such a great team and I really adore working with her. It's been a great collaboration and it's something she approached me about almost, yeah, probably a couple of years ago now. And she's like, I have this idea for a course. I think you'd be like a great fit. She covers more like the psycho-spiritual aspects of the cycle and the different seasons of the cycle and the archetypes. And I cover more the hormonal landscape and a little bit from the energetic side of Chinese medicine and nutrition um, and herbal medicine. So yeah, we combine that. And it started as like a very small seed of like, oh yeah, it could be like this, course that we just put together and then sell, but we don't teach it live. And then, um, we talked to Emily about it and she's like, no, I think this should be a training or some type of, um, bigger offering. So we, Nancy and I came back together and we're like, what could this look like? And so, yeah, there was a lot of back and forth. And again, that's one of those things where it's like, oh, you, you don't see what happens behind the scenes or like how long it took for this project to sort of come to, fruition. Um, so yeah, it was a couple of years in the making and now we will continue to offer it once per year. And that really allowed me to put all my attention and resources into one bigger offering and, um, yeah, just helped me with exposure, obviously like, you know, having more people exposed to what I offer in general. So yeah, that's been really good. And then, um, allowed me to sort of feel like, oh, I can really do it in the online space. Cause I think there was part of me that was just like, so attached to the, the one-to-one in-person model. Um, it was almost just like, I needed something to break that, that trajectory of like, that's how I make my income. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I knew how to do it. I was pretty good at it it was reliable and the online space felt less reliable to me. And I really do like that financial stability. Um, so yeah, now I'm transitioning to focus more on virtual consultations. So one-to-one virtual consultations and then, um, courses, other online offerings. I'm even doing like some herbal products now, which has been super fun. And like, I didn't really have the space or capacity to do that when I was working with so many people, one to one throughout the week.
2: Hmm. Yeah. I, I looked at those blends, and they're they're really unique, and they looked really beautiful. The the womb steaming mm-hmm. blends with the Chinese herbs. Yeah. I need
1: yeah. To take myself. One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have those, and like and I don't know, this is just totally evolved organically, but I just placed another like bulk order of herbs. I think I'm going to start doing some like tinctures and dual extraction, um, Chinese herbal medicine, like support for womb health. So I'm excited about that.
2: Mm, cool. There just, there isn't much out there. I feel like there's a lot of exposure to Western medicine mm-hmm. teachers and all the same recipes. And, um, yeah. this is so exotic, you know, it's like, we don't we don't know enough about it. So we, it's a great offering.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So lots of things coming up that I'm excited about for sure. And, Mm -hmm. um, I'm a manifesting generator too. I don't know if you're into human design at all. Um, I I think you're a man. Are you a manifesting generator too? Just a manifester, just a manifester. Okay. So yeah, I, it's, uh, it feels good for me to have a lot of different things going on and, um, sort of being responding to life and responding to like, cause I feel like my business, like it has its own sort of soul and like its own, um, trajectory. And like, I'm just sort of like responding to what it needs in a way. And like, I'm kind of, um, yeah, just like flowing with it. Of course, you know, I have my influence and everything, but I do feel like it is kind of its own entity. Hmm.
2: Now I'm kind of piecing this together. I'm thinking about all of the women who I know are very, who are doing really well on online and they're all manifesting generator. <laughs> and I feel like that's the perfect combination for it because you're not going to get burned out in the same way you've got that generator side. And then you just have all of the creative channels open. Um, and the uniqueness with the manifestor side. So
1: yeah. Well, I do, I have to say, I do know one of my um dear friends, I won't out her, but she's a generator, she's just a straight generator, and she has a really successful online business. Um that works. I'm sure that works. I too. think that Maybe. works too. Yeah, she just like really pa- like she she Pops works out. a lot and yeah, just puts a lot out there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that sounds
1: that speaks to my kind of
2: just a little bit of burnout because it's just not part of my nature to continue to to you know generate generate all the time. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just want to see the ideas and just let someone else
1: um, follow through with the logistics of it. Um,
2: yeah, a place for that, but
1: there is a place. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think you know with burnout, like I definitely feel that sometimes. That's why I. I shared with you, like that I'm taking a short Instagram break right now. Um, and I usually do that a few times a year, just like one to two weeks away from that um platform completely. Um, so I think also, it's like, if I'm feeling burnout or something, it's like, okay, then I need to reassess, like where my energy's going. But of course, I think that is different depending on your unique constitution or you know, human design type or astrology or what, you know, astrological Mm -hmm. signs and all of that. I I do think that plays a role for sure.
2: I know there's a lot of factors. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That kind of goes into my next line of, um, conversation about this whole field of womb work and, um, and I'm still in the middle of it all, just figuring out where I'm at, but I've just been reflecting lately on how, healthy and, and whole I feel in my my body and my womb. And um I've spent the last five, ten years just being very um almost uh, like obsessed about this subject matter and yeah. wanting to just like dive in so deep and bring it out to the world and and reflect on it so much. And I see that as like yeah I was going through all the healing that I needed to go through. And now I feel very just simply healthy. And so I feel like there's not much more to say about that um, at the moment or I'm coming at a still point. Um, so we were talking about how having a powerful peaceful birth kind of reimprints the womb, um, re-imprints like trauma and, and all of these mm-hmm. things from the womb. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear if you have any reflections on that with your own body, if you've come to a similar place with your, your beautiful birth stories and yeah, where you're at right now with all of that, like, do you, or can you still speak on, like, is your work still about um, healing imbalances when, if you feel balanced yourself, that's Mm. a, a lot of big questions. So wherever
1: you want to, yeah, wherever I'll take that. Um, so I'm the kind of person or, you know, I, um, I really value like working through my own process before I share that with the world. Mm -hmm. I know some people sort of work through their process as they're sharing. Um, I worked through I think more kind of like what you're saying like I did a lot of really deep work even before my first birth um which was in 2017 so really leading up to that first pregnancy and birth I had already been sort of in this world for at least 5 years at that point if not longer um and I felt like I had done a lot to heal um some a lot of wounding around my relationship to the feminine, a lot of just like physical issues. Like I was in my early twenties and well, actually really more in my teens. um, I drank too much, too much alcohol that is. Um, So I feel like that sort of tipped me towards estrogen issues with estrogen metabolism. So I had like all these different pieces I had like this energetic side of feeling really disconnected from the feminine, a lot of shame around sexuality that I was, there was a lot of confusion. Um, then there was like the physical aspect of like not being well-nourished and, um, depleted from using alcohol as a teenager, like mineral depletion, yin depletion. So all those factors I was working through quite extensively before my first birth. So I felt like, you know, I had done a lot of work and resolved a lot. And then I do think that maybe that peak experience, we could say of like having a great birth experience, all of my births have been really fantastic. Um, it does bring another layer, or I should say it's unearthed another layer of just contentedness or like a real feeling of, um, resolve. And maybe it was through that, you know, through that first postpartum time where like so much is released, um, that it just does, it does feel like so, uh, energetically safe and like clean, clean, not in like a Protestant sort of clean way, but just like energetically clean, you know, where it's like, I don't feel like I'm carrying that baggage anymore. Um, I don't have memories surface around like past lovers or whatever, you know, it's just like, it is more of just like my, my space. And, um, I also, you know, I feel fortunate, like I haven't had really any postpartum health issues you could say, or like pelvic health issues. Um, Yeah. So I did receive like pelvic care prior to my first pregnancy and during my first pregnancy. And then some since then as well, but I feel like since then, since my pregnancies, it's like, it's great. Like I, I like to receive pelvic care, but like, also I just haven't really felt like I needed a lot of it, mm-hmm. which is kind of the opposite of what, what a lot of women experience. But I think a lot of women, like the general population, we could say is so disconnected from the root of the body that pregnancy and birth are so confronting because it's bringing all of that to the surface, right? Yeah, It's like bringing all that up and that can manifest physically as like prolapse or other issues with the pelvic structure. Um, but for me, I feel like I did a lot of excavation before, and then the culmination was sort of these birth experiences. Like I do really feel like my children were sort of guiding me during that time so that they could come in in a particular way. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even though it was really hard at times, um, it it's obviously been worth it. And I'm always open to the possibility, like I'm always open that things resurface or you go through another spiral or something else comes up. And sometimes these are unexpected. They may be ancestrally linked. They you may have an injury or you know, you don't know what's going to happen, like what life is going to bring. I'm also particularly interested in like sexual identity integration and sexuality and motherhood, because I think there, there really is always more to explore. And that's probably the area that I lean into more now that maybe I just didn't have the capacity for before. Uh, I'm not sure, or I just wasn't, I wasn't in the right place of my evolution for that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now.
2: Yeah.
1: And I think I think our sexual
2: selves are so different after motherhood. Like I, I heard one of my friends describe it in this way that feels very, um, resonant with me. Like she felt after giving birth, like she wanted to bring a sense of like purity and, and holiness. Like, of course, not in this like Christian way, but like, she feels just like more, pure. I don't know a better word for it, but in and wanting to have sex in that way and be approached in that way. And um yeah, and that that she had never felt before because a lot of, you know, a lot of sex that we all have, um, we often have is modeled on like mainstream porn culture that the men bring in your energies, right? So yeah, it's a calling for something very different. Um yeah, I agree with that. Whatever kind of work you have. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing to bring up to partners. I don't think my partner quite understands what I mean by that. Like he doesn't have a model for it. Um, so yeah, education on that is always needed to just like, to model or show or describe like what it could be like um, to evolve ourselves sexually, as we become mothers, and like there's just no time anymore. So how do you? Mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's a lot of the same conversations that all of us are having about that.
1: Yeah, it is it's just a different phase of life, and it does invite a different orientation towards sexuality. And men, even though it's really hard, to do, they, they, um, they do kind of need our guidance around that. And like, we have to be the ones to sort of set the boundaries or say like, I want to be approached in this way, or it would feel good if we do this, or that might've worked for us, but for me before, but I don't want to do that right now. Mm -hmm. All these conversations are difficult to have, but they're worth having. If we want to have the sex that we actually want to have, or want to be, touched or approached in the way that we actually desire. And I think that is, yeah, such a tender place to be in the postpartum time. And often we just expect like, um, or generally we could say like women will expect men to just know what to do or adjust or whatever, but we have to take responsibility and, and, and first get to know ourselves and get to know like what we actually want now and then be willing to ask for it and then be willing to like negotiate it or not. It's not necessarily a negotiation, but if it doesn't land the first time, then we have to be willing to like bring it up again or redirect or um I feel like a lot of, and I say this like to women I work with often is like, if you want to have better sex, you often have to feel, be willing to get a little bit awkward before or first, right? Because mm-hmm. it may be an awkward conversation. It may be like an awkward moment in the sexual encounter. Um, but beyond that feel that initial feeling of like being awkward, and maybe there's like a retraction or, um, some tension arises inside, Um, there can be a lot on the other side of that. If you're willing to have like those more difficult moments or conversations.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, hmm. yeah. Do you have any suggestions really for women to connect to what they even want? want? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I really love working with women, um, in person for this or doing like women only workshops where, um, using Betty Martin's wheel of consent practices are really great. So learning, um, giving, receiving different there. I won't go into all of her work, but you can find it online pretty easily wheel Um, and she has like very specific practices for exchanging touch that I find can really help women to, um, differentiate, you know, giving, receiving, allowing, um, and taking. And so I would facilitate like a circle of women and you you would do certain, you would ask for things that you want. Like, will you, you know, you can do this in what's called the three minute game where it's like, you ask, can I, will, or are you willing to, you know, rub my hair or, you know, put your fingers through my hair for three minutes. Right. And it's just like a very simple way to exchange touch. That's, um, has a very sort of directional model where it's like one person is giving one person is receiving. Um, and I find that doing those practices first with just other women in sort of a relaxed environment that there's not, there's clearly not going to be a sexual encounter that that can really help. And then you can slowly do that with your partner where you have these exchanges. And, and my husband and I have done that, especially in the postpartum time where there's like, you know, you don't have a lot of time. You don't know when the baby's going to wake up again. Um, you're going to be nursing again or whatever the thing is um it's like well what can we do together for 3 minutes you know for 3 minutes how would you like to spend that time together um and some really interesting things emerge right it's like if we just really are with the body and following the impulse of the body um you might be surprised what you want or how hard it is to come up with what you want right so then you're just in the process of like wow i really don't know what i want and that can just be okay or I thought I would want like you to rub to like, you know, give me a foot massage, but actually what I want is just to lay on your chest for three minutes. You know, it's like, we don't, and it, I feel like having that contained environment where it's like a very short amount of time, um, it allows you to really drop in and feel like, okay, this is what I actually want right now instead of what I think I should want. Mm-hmm. Right. Or what I, and, you know, it, and it's good to start with taking sexual kind of, um, taking sexual acts or sexual encounters off the table at first. So it's really just about being together body to body or, um, in that way. And then from there, I think, and that's like really foundational work, right. It's just getting back into our bodies to know what we actually want. Um, another practice for women, especially in the postpartum time is like looking at their vulva using a mirror so that it would be like the, maybe the next step, right. is like, that's a little more sexual. It's a little, can be more confronting depending on your history and your personal experience and your birth experience. Um, so you have to find a step that feels doable for you and then, you know, go from there. hmm yeah, that's really, those are some really good
2: actionable things. Um, Yeah. And I just think how humbled I have been in my sense of identity. And it's nice to feel that opening um, in a way that I didn't feel before motherhood of just an unfolding sense of identity and um, not thinking I always know exactly what I want. Like you're you're so right. Like these things change moment Mm -hmm. to moment and being attuned to that um, is just how we evolve in all these different ways. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what you said before, which is like, we don't have really models for what sexuality could actually look like because it is so masculine centered and not even like, not even um, masculine in the sense of like. I don't want to say good masculine, but like, we'll just say it is a little bit toxic, right? What we've been exposed to, it's like very male focused. And then we have like this whole porn culture, which porn isn't even really sex. So then we have to like differentiate those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So there's a lot that we've been exposed to that we have to unlearn. And it is really helpful to have teachers like in real time that can guide you and show you like that feminine sexuality can be so expansive and so different than what we've been given Mm because otherwise it is kind of, you're kind of just in the dark, like trying, you know, exploring these things on your own um, and trying to find, find your way.
2: Yeah. I can feel like, like sometimes during a sexual encounter, I'll feel like I'm, I'm having to relearn everything again. Like you know, I, that I'm a teenager, like I don't actually know how to have sex, you know, all this programming I need to release that I didn't even realize before. And now I want to do it differently, but I just don't have the path other than instinct. But, you know, as we talk about, it's like instinct can only take us so far, um, in, in everything. So, um, yeah, maybe you can share some resources that I can include in the notes. Like either anything that you've written or just
1: good offerings, like the wheel of consent. I have that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's some, there's definitely some good books out there. Um, but I will say like, this is one space where I think it is hard to translate it to the online space because Mm -hmm. we're talking bodies exchanging, you know, touch and we're talking consent in real time. And, um, that has been most powerful in person. And so I think that's not something I'm offering right now, but I know like that seed is always with me of doing more, um, in person specifically around sexuality, because I think that's where, at least for me, I've had, had the most powerful shifts. Um, and those have usually been, yeah, almost exclusively all women sort of, uh, workshops or trainings, Um, like I did a somatic sex educator training that was women only and yeah, it's just it to be in the safety of an all women container, exploring sexuality in that way can be really beneficial. Um, but yeah, yeah, I can, I can definitely provide some resources for that.
2: I didn't know that you did an all women. I thought that maybe you just did the regular sexological bodywork training, which really turned me off of some of the um, things that they described what happened there between men and women. It was not
1: okay with that. Yeah. The somatic or the sexological body worker training. I, it's something I've considered, but yeah, there are some practices that are very confronting and I feel like, you know, you would really need to be, have a very clear sense of your boundaries for that. And so what happened was like a couple, both of my teachers in the somatic sex education world, did do the sexological bodywork training, but then I think they also had concerns around the, the sort of mixed gender, um, experiences that happen and like how boundaries play out in that, in that space. Um, so actually kind of for that reason, I think created the women only environment.
2: Right. That's good that they have that. Yeah. Yeah, I think just especially, I feel like those trainings do attract people with sexual trauma or just yeah, you know, for sure. Work through. So it's it's a lot, and there's a lot of energetic exchanges that um, are imbalanced. So that's good to know. I'll look that up and and maybe give that a a link because I I do think that's a very valuable training and and um. Path for people to go down to learn a lot of this.
1: I, yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah. So the training I did was distinct from sexological bodywork for sure in that okay. way. And um, yeah, it's just, I, I can't really speak fully to the sexological bodyworker training. Obviously, we both heard different things about it, I'm sure. Um, and I've
2: never done it either. So. I, yeah.
1: So neither of us have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, but exactly. Yeah. That's, I think that's it's about a all I can training. say.
2: Yeah. um yeah and it just um I think yeah one last thing I wanted to discuss is just kind of like um this realm of the pelvic care feel that you kind of yeah. you sent out this newsletter which was interesting and I I don't think I've followed those accounts where I've noticed this but you mentioned um just this kind of sense of competition among some of the practitioners um with thinking that the way you know they shouldn't go and see anyone else because it's um maybe you could speak to that like that they're they're the only ones doing it in integrity and other
1: yeah people are not and Yeah. Well, you just see that people will say like, well, I can't recommend anyone else because I, I'm doing it this particular way and no one's doing it the way that I'm doing it. Um, and in a way this like is good for their business, right? It's like it positions them in a role of authority and um, maybe they really do feel that way. Like that they can't recommend someone else with, without knowing the work and all of that. And that's valid. However, what I find is like that that creates more stress for for the general population. We could say, or for women who are not as involved in this world, but they actually need the support, right? Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: the women that are looking for help um, for for pelvic care, for womb health, for womb health, for you know whatever fall falls under that umbrella, um, they don't. It's not helpful for them to hear like oh, there's no one out there that can help you. Only me. Right. That's not helpful. And I think if you reframe it and you put yourself in the role of the person who's like really struggling with something and not knowing who to trust and already having maybe boundary violation that they're holding in their pelvic space and, and then seeking out help. It's like they're. I just feel like it puts women in a position of not wanting to actually get the help and care that they need. Um, Mm -hmm. rather than, yeah, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me why someone would say that, um, at all, because then it also like speaks poorly to all so many other women who have devoted so much time and resources and energy into studying these topics. Right. It's like Mm -hmm. there, the the reality is there's not just one way to do things. (laughs) At least that's my point of view is like, I don't know for sure what's going to help a particular individual, like what's going to be their way. Um, I can be devoted to the tools that I offer and I can be devoted to my own practice and my own study and all of those things. Um, And I still, with all the skills that I have, I might not be the right person for someone to work with.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Right. So just to have like such a narrow vision of, of, um, how things need to be done in a very particular way. I just don't think it's helpful. And I think that it, um, it's not healthy competition because I do think there can be some healthy competition, but I, I think that's just sort of like revealing an insecurity or, um, a,
2: Yeah, just a way of like
1: taking women's power away in a way, because it's like you're you're taking away power from other women who are offering the work and you're also taking power away from women who are seeking the work in a way. Mm -hmm. Kind of through the way I just explained is like they may feel less empowered or less powerful around their next action step to get help. And then you're like also speaking poorly of other women. So I just think it's not helpful, like all the way around. And I've just been, I, and I think you've been doing this long enough too, to see that, like, there is a shadow side to this particular type of care, especially within the pelvic care world. Um, mm-hmm. Cause if you get specific into pelvic care, now we're talking like physical therapists and then we have somatic, you know, somatic sex educators or sexological body workers, um, and there's lots of different sort of nuances among among those roles. And I personally think there's room for everyone, and um, you can you can find the right practitioner for you if that makes sense. And um, I try just I don't want to spend my time criticizing other models of care. That's yeah. just not something that's interesting to me. If, it, if I don't agree with it, then I usually just, you won't hear me talking about it or I just won't give my energy to that thing mm-hmm. rather than speaking poorly of it or something else. Um, I agree. Yeah. Especially if it's something I haven't experienced, right? Like I actually have not had a lot of pelvic physical therapy. I have one good friend that's a pelvic physical therapist, and I've had a few sessions with her. And she's like, she I know she approaches things differently than most pelvic physical therapists. Um so yeah, it's just like I I think there's room for everyone, and people have different offerings, different skill sets, that's for sure. And I there are some people that I might not recommend, of course, if you ask me like privately and it's like a very specific situation. Um, but generally I wouldn't say like, I'm the only person doing this. That just is so ludicrous in my mind. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to say something like that or to say like, I'm only doing it in this particular way. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a red flag to me. Um, and there are so many ways that people practice and there's so many different practitioners now and all the trainings that I've been to everyone that I've encountered has you know a pure heart and devotion to women it's like it's rare that I would find anyone there that you know didn't just you get into that work because it's a calling and yeah you see the importance and the the power of it um, and i know there's a lot of people maybe in our sphere that will talk you know to that will just uplift the more um like the energetic side and then the physical therapists are just like not as um holistic but i appreciate actual experience and knowledge of the body um,
1: yeah for sure
2: And a lot of these trainings, you, you do have to, um, be a physical therapist to, to even get into and, or just to have that kind of physical knowledge. So, um, yeah, my, my only caution is with men offering this work exclusively to women that's my own personal, um,
1: tangent. So other than that, I think that's a valid one too. I mean, I haven't Mm -hmm. seen a man for, um, internal pelvic care. Mm but I know that we both know of a man who's doing a lot of trainings around this Mm -hmm. work. And I'm curious about that. Um, I can't really say either way. Um, And he
2: requires every student to have a private session with him, which is suspect. So I'm cautious of these male guru types. So,
1: yeah. I mean, any guru type is like something you need to be cautious of, but yeah. um, yeah, I, I just don't, I can't really, I haven't experienced that, that I'm not sure it is something I I would do, but, um, yeah. So I can't really say much about, about it.
2: But every woman is, yeah, we're not right for every woman. and, And
1: yeah, totally.
2: So yeah, I'm just happy to see that there's so many more options than there used to be. And, Yeah. Women are, you know, usually if they want to find someone for this kind of work, there's someone around them somewhere nearby to, to get that, um, to do it. So yeah. I'm happy about that. Um, that wasn't the case like 10 years ago. Totally. So
1: yeah, my kind of philosophy on that is like, I do think it's really helpful. Like you were saying to have like this physical knowledge of the body or just knowing like, so for me, it's like, I know, you know, the different meridian channels and I work in that way and I can orient to the body in that way. And then of course I have like my yoga background. So knowing, you know, muscle structures and, and those are helpful. That's all really helpful. And I think that is valuable. Those are valuable skills to have. And the intention behind it and like the capacity to hold space just for another woman is really what it comes down to in the realm of pelvic care. Mm -hmm. And I think at least what I feel has been revealed to me through receiving and giving this work is like, ancestrally I do believe we would have cared for each other in this way. If, you know, like I do believe that women would have just cared for each other's bodies in this way. So it feels like it's kind of like a remembering in a way of how to really care for each other through the different phases of life, the different like cycles of our reproductive life. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah, it very much does feel that way. And I'm sure you feel that even more with um, your herbalist practices and- yeah just, yeah, putting hands on the body and reverence and, and space holding. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's our work. Yeah. Mm. Um, let's see. So yeah. Is there anything else you want to just yeah, share about things that you're going to be offering, um, or that you have available? I know you're, um, I love your workshops on what you call womb cycle vitality and hormonal resilience. It's just a beautiful descriptor of your work. So yeah, anything you want to share there for women to find you?
1: Well, I have uh, my main offering is know your blood, heal your hormones. It's a, um, a self-paced course that sort of takes you through the cycle and helps you address different layers of hormone and womb healing And I'll be offering some workshops in the new year. And of course the blood mystery school is coming up and it will start in April. And that's for women who are diving into this world or women who also want to bring this work forward. Um, And I offer that with Nancy Lucina through the blood or through the free birth society. So yeah, you can just follow me on Instagram. That's usually a good place to check in. Or um check out my offerings at wombmedicine.com. Um yeah, and I send out a newsletter every Wednesday that usually has some tips around womb health, hormonal resilience, um, or just some personal updates. And sometimes I write on motherhood, so there's a variety of what I send out, but um you can join me there as well.
2: Great. Well, thank you for sharing your heart and your, your wisdom so. Openly and generously.
1: Thank you for having me, Bethany.
0: If you are loving this podcast and excited to listen more to these topics of sovereign and instinctual womanhood and motherhood, the call to women's work and more then here are a few ways that you can support this project and help me continue to put it out there. You can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps reach more women. You can also check out my book, Pelvic Awakening, on Amazon, which is all about womb healing and connection and covers so many topics. And if you love that, you can leave a rating and review there. Um, and then finally, you can also check out my learning library, which includes my wise woman practitioner training, personal healing workshops, and more. All the links are in the show notes. And thank you again so much for your support.